Up in our part of the country, the spring of 1981 was incredibly wet, lots of flooding. I was sloshing through a pasture checking the sheep when I caught a whiff of something rotten. I mean, really rotten. Obviously, when you're dealing with a bunch of soaking wet sheep, it doesn't smell like a big bouquet of flowers anyway. When you have a bunch of soaking wet sheep, it's already pretty whiffy, so you can just imagine how rank the smell was to stick in my memory for 30 years. Anyway, I just sloshed around till I figured out that the smell was probably coming from one certain use. I went ahead and caught her just to check. Now, how do you catch a sheep? Well, the way we did it was using a long pole, about eight foot long, and at the end of the pole, there's a little springy uh, metal hook. It's tight and kind of springy. It's shaped very much like those those little metal clips that women used to put those doilies on their head, those, those funny little clips, only it's just flared out at the end. Same kind of metal. And anyway, uh, what, with that long pole is called a crook. And uh, how do you use a crook to catch a sheep? Well, you figure out which one you want to catch, and then you reach out there and hook a hind leg. And then you go arm over arm over the, down the pole. They're kicking, but as long as you keep tension on it, they're not going anywhere. And then sheep have wool, so they're covered with handles. So as soon as you get up to it, you, you've got a hold of it, you know. So anyway, uh, I hooked that you, and as I got up that crook closer and closer, uh, the smell got ranker and ranker. And I reached up in the middle of her back, and I grabbed a handful of wool so I could hang on to her. And when I did that, it came off in my hand. So I'm standing there wondering, what is going on with this giant handful of wool in my hand? And, uh, you know, this, this absolute overpowering stench there. And then I realized, looking at that the skin came off along with the wool. So I pulled off a palm-sized piece of, of skin at the same time as I grabbed a hold of this wool. And then I see that the flesh side of the skin is moving. It's literally crawling, totally covered with maggots. Then I looked down and saw that the wound caused by pulling off that chunk of hide was overflowing with maggots as well. So what was going on? That poor ewe had two problems. First off, she'd probably gotten some manure on that part of her back. Maybe she fell down in some. And then with all that rain, her fleece got soaked through and through. Fleece is really warm, so it's warm, it's soaking wet, and there's ground-up manure in it. And what do you get when you get warm, wet manure? It starts rotting. So that's where the rank smell was coming from. And that's what caused the second problem. Because what's attracted to rotten, smelly things? And that's flies. In this case, blowflies. So they laid their eggs, and within a day of, of them blowing, uh, blowing something like that, they'll, they'll hatch into maggots. Now, there's some kind of maggots. Blowflies have two kind of maggots. Some eat living flesh, and some eat dead flesh. So that poor sheep was in serious trouble, and if she was going to be saved, she needed to be doctored. So I rested her long till we got her in a corral. Then you hang on and just crap her head between your legs. And uh, and then I'm, I just started pulling around there, and I started pulling off more chunks of hide. And all the whole time, there's all these maggots falling out and all that. By the time it was done, I'd opened up a wound about yay big, about uh, 4 or 5 inches by 8 to 10 inches, raw, raw wound on, on her back, and then I brushed off all the maggots and clipped away the wool on, around the, the circumference of the wound and then took a clean rag and, and rubbed that flesh clean. Now think about what that must have felt like to that poor animal on raw flesh, just rubbing it clean, 
and then I sprayed it with some veterinary medicine uh, to make sure it dried out, and then sprayed it with fly spray to keep that wound from getting blown again. Now, I've tried not to be very colorful in my description. (laughs) Believe me, (laughs) this whole incident was thoroughly disgusting, and that's saying something for anybody that works with livestock. Anyway, during the whole process, in order to make sure the wounds were clean, I really had to inflict a lot of pain on that poor animal, a lot of pain. That poor old wool, you took a while to, to heal up, but she made it through it. Okay, so here we are on Good Shepherd Sunday, so why is the priest up here telling you this disgusting story about doctoring some fleece-rotten, fly-blown old you? It's pretty obvious if you stop and think about it. Here's this sheep out in bad conditions, wandering around sick with this horrible stench coming off her, and then some uh, poor sheep herder, son of the eldest son of the sheep owner, uses his crook to reel that poor creature in, and then in order to save her, he has to open a raw wound, scrub out the maggots, r- scrub out the rotten flesh, and then burn it clean with medicine. He had to really hurt that sheep in order to save her. It wasn't much fun. I don't like hurting sheep. I really don't like hurting anything. But if she hadn't been doctored on, she'd have died for sure. There's no question. Even though that happened 30 years ago, my current job isn't really much different, excepting nowadays I don't carry a crook. That's what the bishop does. He's the representative of the good shepherd. And since he represents Christ to his flock, the people of his diocese, he carries a crook. And a crook is what he's carrying when he visits sheep. What do they call it? They don't call it a crook. They call it a crozier. It's just a fancy liturgical crook. That's exactly what that is. That's why it's got that hook on the end and all that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't work regular sheep with that, but that's what the bishop has, a fancy liturgical sheep crook. Okay? You're the sheep he expects us to take care of. Before, I had to doctor the sheep by scrubbing raw flesh to get rid of infection, maggots, Nowadays, we doctor the spiritual wounds of our sheep by preaching to them. The inflexible, inerrant, non-negotiable word of God. Reminding any of you that have, are infected with even the pus of even one mortal sin, or worse yet, crawling with the maggots of habitual mortal sin, that if you don't repent, go and confess your sins, you'll surely go to hell. Before I used veterinary medicine on sheep in the corral, but nowadays we apply the precious blood to the wounds of the sin back there in the confessional or the holy oils when we anoint people with extreme unction. Before I used fly spray to keep away blowflies, but nowadays we use holy water. That's what the whole videoquam is about, is getting rid of the devil in here, the, the holy water. Or we use uh, St. Benedict's medals, prayers, blessed palms, and so forth. Other sacramentals to keep away those filthy demonic flies. So we're shepherds working for the good shepherd, and we're here to keep you from going to hell. That means we're supposed to love you enough to look you in the eye and tell you what God wants us to, even if you hate it. Even if it feels like in the process we're yanking off great big chunks of hide because we're not here to make you feel good. We're here to help you be good. It's not the same thing. We're here to help you be good and get to heaven, not feel good, and who knows where you're going to end up, but it probably is going to be mighty hot. We're all in this together. If we have serious words for you, our Lord has even more serious words for us. I'll read you a few 
from his holy word. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. You have scattered my flock and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Wail, you shepherds, and cry, for the days of your slaughter have come. No refuge will remain for the shepherd. Close quote. So we're in it together, and you can see why priests ask you to pray for him. Because those are pretty sobering words. All right, that being said, it's time to start yanking off chunks of hide, so to speak, and address a few common problems. But before we go get started, everybody just needs to burn this into his mind and keep it there. The teaching of the Catholic Church on matters of faith and morals is inerrant. It's inflexible. And it's non-negotiable. God is not up in heaven somewhere saying, oh, please, let's make a deal. He's right there. And he's saying, this is the deal. It's non-negotiable. It's a great mercy. I'll just parenthetically make some remarks. We have to see the teaching of church as a great mercy. It's guardrails. They're like a warning fence, an electric fencing. Don't walk over this. There's a cliff here. Big flames, eternal flames. So the whole reason for the teaching of the church and all the rules is so that we don't fall into the abyss. Huh? That's why it's there. You, you know, you don't need the priest to tell you don't sit on hot stoves. God, in our, by our nature, we can already sense that. If you back up to hot stove, you jump away because you feel yourself getting burnt. But with supernatural life that we got in baptism, you can't feel a thing. You don't know when you're getting wounded. That's why the church has to tell us where the boundaries are so that you know when you're getting in danger or when you've, when you, if you do this, you're going to kill yourself supernaturally. Okay, so here's the deal. Since we're running down a list, we'll only touch on the main points. Number one, if anyone is conscious of even only one unconfessed mortal sin, remember, mortal sin seriously wrong, you knew it was seriously wrong, but you gave full consent anyway. If anyone is conscious of even one unconfessed mortal sin, you must not go to communion until you go to confession. If you think different, you've been misinformed. I don't care what other priests say. This is the teaching of the church. Go to confession. If you're in this condition, you're spiritually rotten right now. When St. Catherine of Siena, would encounter someone with mortal sin on their soul, she'd smell it, and oftentimes she'd start puking. Okay? If you got a mortal sin, get it taken care of before it takes care of you. Second, we're well into warm weather now. That means, gentlemen, you have to practice custody of the eyes and custody of the mind. As that great pope and doctor of the church, St. Gregory the Great, states, it is not lawful to behold what is not lawful to covet. Close quote. Now, obviously, there's a lot of free advertising going on in this insane brothel we live in. St. Francis de Sales points out that there are many things we can't help seeing, but we can help looking. So you see something, you look away, you haven't offended God. Okay? So we have to guard our minds and guard imaginations. When you're under attack, say, Precious blood wash over me, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, St. Mary, Grady, Guardian Angel, help me. And then move the image in your mind to something really great like canoeing in Montana. Say your three Hail Marys for holiness and purity every morning and every night. And before we leave this topic, mothers, if you're shopping, be careful about the aisles 
on which you take your boys. Third, internet porn is destroying lives and marriages and the innocence of our youth like nothing we have ever seen in the history of the world. It's bringing serious demonic problems into people's lives, and I mean that literally. And it's filling hell with souls. There's never been anything like this in the history of the world. The Internet is the weapon of mass spiritual destruction. If you're going to have the Internet, get a filter on the computer and on your smartphone or your iPhone or your iPad or whatever the case might be. If your children have computers or phones with Internet capabilities, it is your solemn obligation before God to either completely block the Internet unless it is absolutely essential they have access, in which case it is your solemn obligation before God to get the most robust filter and or accountability where possible on those instruments. On Good Shepherd Sunday last year, we preached about this. Handouts leading some of the uh, listing some of the options that have been available all that time. There's a new handout out there. There's hundreds of copies of this stuff. On it, there are lists of things. Content filtering options for mobile phones and iPhones. There's a five there. Home computers. There's different free uh, filtering options. Then a list of, and where available to ones one can pay for, uh, and also accountability where. It's all available right out there in the vestibule. If you're going to have the Internet on your home, in your home, put a filter on. Parents should remember that one click in your child's innocence is gone forever. There is no such thing as a brain eraser. If it happens under your roof, it's your fault. The woman of the house should have the password. Mothers, Please listen to the priest and don't tell yourself that little Johnny would never do such a thing. Little Johnny, excepting for the Blessed Virgin Mary, little Johnny, like the rest of us descended from Adam, suffers from original sin. Don't do the experiment. Get the filter on today. St. Augustine asked the question, what's the difference between a little baby and a great sinner? The answer was, a lack of opportunity. Remove the opportunity. Get the filter on. On that terrible day of judgment, how many of our Catholic parents will be wailing and screaming when they realize that their very own children have been damned because those parents provided them with the opportunity under their own roof? How many of our young people that are here today were innocent at this time last year when we preached about it, but now have those fires burning because they got on the Internet on a bad site. Maybe even strange fires burning. Get that filter on. If you wouldn't let an open sewer run into your living room, you shouldn't allow the computer to be unfiltered in your house. Fourth, Women's clothing, the very dignity of woman, she's a living icon of the Blessed Virgin. That's her dignity. Every Catholic woman is supposed to exemplify the Blessed Virgin. Every woman either models Our Lady or Eve to those around her. Let's turn to the teaching of Pope Pius XII. Quote, We have to prefer 
the spiritual welfare of our neighbor to our bodily comforts. Immodesty in fashion depends upon the cut of the garment. There is always an absolute norm, and the style must never be approximate occasion of sin. That bears repeating. There is always an absolute norm, and the style must never be approximate occasion of sin. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin, it is your duty to give it up. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society. I don't think you need me to point out we live in a corrupt society. There is always an absolute norm, and the style must never be a proximate occasion of sin. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin, it is your duty to give it up. Here are the absolute norms issued by the Holy See for modesty in women's clothing. It must not be cut deeper than two fingers' breadth underneath the pit of the throat. Quarter-length sleeves are tolerated, no sleeveless blouses or bare shoulders. It must reach beyond the knees. Transparent materials are improper as are tight clothing. Please do not complain to the priests about the heat. Our necklines are higher. Our sleeves are longer. Our hemline is lower. And I'm wearing black. If anyone has any immodest clothing, get rid of it. Scissors. Your parents are guilty if you allow your girls living at home to violate these rules. If anyone is tempted to wear immodest clothing, remember in the first place that we may not do what we please if we're going to be a danger to our neighbor. In the second place, remember that indeed you are your brother's keeper. And in the third place, that where it's the fashion to sin, it's also the fashion to go to hell. Get rid of it. Say your three Hail Marys every morning and every night. Five, passionate kissing. We talked about this a year ago. We'll return to the great doctor of the church, the doctor of moral theology, St. Alphonsus. Quote, Pope Alexander VII condemned the opinion that it is only venially sinful for people who are not married to one another to kiss for the carnal and sensual pleasure which arises from the kiss, even if there is no danger of further consent or of going even farther. Therefore, every time someone with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will delights in carnal or sensual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married, he commits a mortal sin. This is also true with respect to other touches which stir up carnal pleasure. The reason is that any delight taken in stirring up the appetites surrounding the creative power is a movement towards a marital act and is therefore reserved to the married. Close quote, the doctor of moral theology of the universal church. Every time someone with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will delights in carnal or sexual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married, he commits a mortal sin. Bottom line is the kisses which are allowed to unmarried people are the same kind 
that two Russian monks might give each other or that you might give to great-grandma or great-grandpa. Those little peck-on-the-cheek type things, stuff like that. No passion allowed. Social kissing, like we described, or two French guys, that stuff is okay. There's no passion. Six, courtship. There's an old priest saying, Solus cum sola non dicunt Ave Maria. Now, roughly translate, that means when a guy is alone with a girl, they ain't saying Hail Marys. Because they aren't, at least not for long. So what's the bottom line? We'll consider the principle taken from a standard manual on marriage. Quote, company keeping with the intention of timely marriage can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin since in our society people do not marry strangers. Close quote. I'll repeat that. Company keeping with intention of timely marriage can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin since our society people do not marry strangers. Let's pause for a moment and consider what that means. In the first place, it means that dating is not a recreational activity. It's not a recreational activity. Let's get practical. If you're reasonably sure that you have the vocation to be married and you are capable of being married, in other words, you're old enough, and if you're a guy, you can put a roof over her head and food on the table. That's your job, guys. If you're old enough and able to assume the duties of marriage or you're very close to being able to do so, then... And only then is it okay to court. No one has the right to enter into an occasion of sin without a sufficient reason. That means anyone here that's dating, but not courting, in other words, the relationship isn't aimed towards a timely marriage, then you need to break up. Or anyone here that's dating, but isn't old enough or almost old enough to get married, then you need to break up. We need to be serious about this stuff. Who cares what everyone else is doing? Stop worrying about that. Start worrying about your own immortal soul. Seven, contraception and direct sterilization. Both these are mortal sins. Both are against the natural law. So if you've been involved with either of these sins and you don't repent and confess these, you will go to hell. Why so much on the Sixth and Ninth Commandments? Well, in the first place, because it's spring. And also because of what the great St. Alphonsus says. Quote, These are the most frequent and most abundant confession matters, and on account of which the greater number of souls fall into hell. Indeed, I do not hesitate to assert that all those who are damned are damned on account of this one vice of impurity, or at least... Not without it. Close quote, St. Alphonsus. Now at this time, there's probably people here that feel like I just yanked up big old chunks of your hide, started rubbing the raw flesh. But it wasn't done out of some desire to hurt you. I don't make this stuff up. I don't want anybody here to go to hell. And I sure don't want to end up there myself. Let's close. Even if someone in here is in terrible trouble a black sheep with a spiritually dead soul, totally infested with the spiritual maggots of sin, there's every reason to hope. Because you're here. 
You're here. You're Catholic. Think of what that means. We can never be sufficiently thankful for that. That means God loves you so much that he let you be one of your sheep. And he's let you know what you need to do to be healed and to be saved. Think of the mercy there. Our sick society, oddly enough, gives us every reason for hope as well. How's that? The inspired, inerrant word of God tells us in Romans 5.20 that where sin abound, grace did more abound. We have a biblical flood of sin out there. Sin is certainly abounding. But if we see a flood of sin around, think of the oceans of grace that must be abounding. It's a fantastic time to become a saint. God won't be outdone in generosity. He is the good shepherd. He won't be undone. He's literally pouring down oceans of grace in the confessional, and in a few minutes, he'll be pouring them down off the altar. He'll be pouring down oceans of grace off that altar. Prepare yourself. <laughs>